स्मार्ट यू आर लिसनिंग टू अमिंट प्रोडक्शन प्रॉट यू बाय एच टी स्मार्ट हेलो एंड वेलकम टू टेल मी हाउ यू डेट इट आई एम नम्रता सकारिया एंड आई एम हियर टू ब्रिंग टू यू माई हैंड पिक लिस्ट ऑफ सम ऑफ इंडिया फाइनेस्ट ब्रांड्स यस आर बेस्ट होम ग्रोन कंपनीज that can compete with the world's best and still win the battle hands down these companies range from food fashion and film to home art and design i'm only too happy to talk to the founders who not only chased their rainbows they also made india proud make sure you tune in at hdsmartcast.com week after week to shake the hands that built our best businesses listen to them tell me how they did it In 2010 an unusually pretty little shop opened up in Hoskhas a sleepy little area of old delhi it was a shop that sold leather goods and except for the black and white vintage style photographs they had used as tapestry you wouldn't believe it was an indian company its designs were contemporary its penchant for detailing was painful all this made it really unique Boutiques like this come and go, but Napadori has only grown. It's now available in several countries across the world, and it has stores in prime locations. It also has e-commerce, which is very popular. I'm talking to its founder, a creative visionary, no less, Gautam Sinha. Hello, and welcome to the show, Gautam. Thanks, Namrata. That's a pretty interesting uh, <laughs> intro, which I haven't really. you know heard before so which is good is good not done as yet i'm not yet <laughs> done with my intro <laughs> you know i want to tell you that i actually discovered napadori a few years ago on uh, on a flight uh, a qatar airlines flight i was going to europe on a business trip and of course in my 20 years i've had several uh, work trips in business class but i've never been this excited about an amenity kit i don't even know who did the toiletries or what they were i was just happy to pick up those pretty pouches and because i had a stop over in doha i was just happy to pick up four of them amazing amazing yeah that that's uh, been one of our biggest collaborations till date is it still on it uh, well nothing's on right now so sadly yeah yeah, yeah. there's no flight anywhere but uh, it's, it's at the latter stage of its uh, end the deal so, the deal is still on yeah it's still great. on it's still in the airlines so great gotham i love the journey you've made you've created this top notch world class brand um but i read in an interview that you had a really simple upbringing that you couldn't afford to go to an international design school and you went to nift in new delhi and then you went to kanpur to learn uh to work with leather workers and and train there tell us about those days how you read on your research i'm like <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, you're very famous oh not at all um i think you just have good sources <laughs> no but uh like i'm a delhi boy so like i've always uh, born and brought up here uh single mom two boys so my mother brought us up so life wasn't really easy at that point of time uh, especially for a single lady to bring two two boys up and uh, yeah so we we were doing our bit uh, we 
I don't come from an affluent family or anything like that, but uh, uh, life was had its own little struggles. I was an academic retard, is what I would say to myself. Oh, is, that's just rude. <laughs> but it was like I always thought I was stupid because I didn't know that I was massively dyslexic. And in India, you don't really get to know that you're dyslexic. No. You yeah. just need to know that you're you're stupid. That's the that's the word for it. And uh, so I was never good at studies, and I really didn't really enjoy going to school. Uh, I flunked two years of my life in school. I flunked my fourth grade and the fifth grade. So it was it was a complete disaster. And uh, when I was about to pass out, the only thing I knew that I wanted to do was some. I knew that I was good at sketching, so I thought, okay, let's go to a design school or something that's more creative because that's where I can actually express myself. And uh, in India at that point of time, there was a couple of institutes that are obviously there, are anchor institutes in India. But uh, I had actually applied for RISD, which is Rhode Island School of Design. And uh, I sent them my portfolio. Yes. And uh, I got through, but I just didn't have the money for the intuition fee. So like that didn't happen. So the next best thing was getting into a college in, in, in Delhi and uh, whatever I got because I had to get to college. And that's where it started. Like I just uh, did uh, three years there. I actually didn't graduate. That's the reality no. of it. Yeah, like uh, it's, it was more to do, as I said, like life was tough. So I had my main objective in that point was to get a job and just uh, earn money. And uh, that was uh, mission number one. And the rest was, okay, I'll do something creative. And um, I passed out, but I never really got my degree. I still haven't got it, actually. Uh, And and, uh, I started working in a company which used to do Christmas ornaments. And uh, I just suddenly got a job there and I took it, whatever came my way. And uh, they were making bumblebees and daisies and Christmas hangings for... (laughs) The German market, it was a little tiny little company in in uh, Nizamuddin. And uh, I started working there and I started enjoying what I was doing. It's the first time in my life I was actually expressing my own creativity, which was uh, refreshing because, you know, you don't get to do that. And I was actually, it was like a hobby that was a job, which was like working out perfectly for me. And... Uh, but you can only make as many bumblebees and daisies in two years. I worked there for two years and I got fed up. But it taught me a lot. Uh, it taught me how a export house works and a business works. And I was very inquisitive about things and how to make an invoice or how to make a product sheet. And I learned the ropes there. And um, after that, I just didn't know what to do after that. Like I was, took about a six-month sabbatical of sorts. And, uh, and when I say sabbatical, I was jobless. And uh, eventually, just leather just happened. It just it wasn't something that I was really seeking or trying to uh, build something in, in that zone. But it just happened. It came to me uh, rather than me finding it. And uh, an aunt of mine... Do you know, it's such, an, it's such an inspiring story because... And I'm going to say this, I've seen many companies being set up by people who come from legacy money. It's almost like this hard scrabble start doesn't exist for them. It's almost like they're given this play around money to burn. How would you have done things differently if you had, let's say, unlimited resources? Oh, boy. Uh, (laughs) Did you ever think about it? Yeah, I, I, I 
honestly, yes and no. I've really never thought about it. Uh, I started this with the fact that I didn't have anything. I was like, honestly, uh, Namrata, I was like turning 31 almost at that point of time. And I had like three or four lakh rupees in my pocket. And it was I was not in a happy place. And, yeah. you know, like, I was like, you know, my life's passing by and I've not really done anything. And I've been working for companies and I need to do something on my own. And uh, I will give it a shot. And if it happens, it happens. Otherwise, I'll pack my bags and see where to go next. And uh, that's where that's how Napadori actually happened. And uh, and it was just for me to vent out my own frustrations and my own creativity in a way and yeah. channel it in a way. Yeah. And... Uh, and you were and, saying how, how leather came to you, how you arrived at leather. Yeah, that was the one that was before I started Napadori. Like an aunt of mine actually asked me if she was an exporter and she was like, uh, oh, you're not doing anything. So some buyers of mine are coming from Denmark and would you like to make some belts for them? Leather belts. They're looking for leather belts. So if you can do that, you, you're from a design school, right? And I'm like, uh, yeah, but I've never really done anything in leather. But then I was like, you know what? Let's do it. And uh, yeah. I actually ended up doing that order, which went off really well. That's yeah. the time I went to Kanpur to source leather because I didn't know where to go to find yeah. leather. Yeah. And uh, I ended up executing that order. The company really liked it. Yeah. And uh, while I was doing this, I was sending them two, three of my own designs because I was like, okay, their belt is nice, but it could be better like this. And it was a pretty naive thing for me to do. But it actually kind of worked in my favor at that point because they ended up choosing those designers as well. Mm. And eventually it became like a relationship where I was making designs for them. And they were like, Gotham, why are we hiring designers <laughs> in Copenhagen if you're doing most of the designs? So why don't you just send us what you think is right and we'll choose something out of it. And that's how it started. So at 24, I think it was, I was 24 at that point of time. And I started my first company called Definite Design. Okay. Because I needed to send the belts to Copenhagen. I didn't have a company. So I just learned the ropes of how to register a company. I registered it with the export council, did my paperwork and sent those belts. And uh, it was suddenly, okay, this, is, this could be a business. And uh, then six years of that, of everything that came my way, I designed. So like if someone wanted menu covers, if someone wanted in-room, you know, dining trays or anything that came my way, I just said, yes, okay, I'll do it. I'll make it. And I think that really helped me and uh, to develop design in, in totality in terms of different materials. And leather was not just the only material that I worked with. Yeah. But that, that kind of was the most uh, important out of a lot because it had a certain perceived value to it. Yeah, and uh, and I thought that that would be a nice material to explore more when I do yeah. end up doing it. I love that you know it's largely like travel goods, you know, suitcases and trunks. There's an old world sort of romanticism to them. Because um, I never had the money to travel, so I was like, okay, let's make travel gear. <laughs> that's that's just lovely. That's just a very sweet story. But I, is it commercially viable? Like belts, bags, shoes. Uh, you know. Honestly, like if I ever have to give any advice to anyone in terms of starting a business, I did everything wrong in terms of what I designed and what I made was not commercially viable, was not really useful 
and uh, it just looked nice. And uh, honestly, that kind of worked in my favor at that point of time. I made trunks which are completely redundant, but they just looked nice because I, my dad was from the forces, and I was you know always surrounded by these metal trunks. And I was just like, okay, I need to. I wish they were colored. They were just not colored, and that's the reason that those trunks came up. Like uh, nuances from my childhood, I was just like picking yeah. them up and designing them. Yeah. But I guess ignorance is bliss. I started this with a collection which was just four trunks in different colors and a couple of bags with some imagery on it, and uh, found a store in Hoskars, and uh, that was affordable. And I knew that I could pay one year's rent of that store, and it was nothing. It was like what twelve thousand rupees a month. That's so I was fantastic. Like, okay, okay. Hoskars doesn't have is nothing close to that now. But it was a scooter garage, so it wasn't really a store store. Oh, it was under someone's staircase, like a little scooter garage that I started in. So, so it was expensive for a for a little tiny little hole like that. But uh, I was like, you know what? Like, if I if I can't afford to spend a lakh seventy and make that money in a year's time, then I'm definitely not in the right business. So from the get go, I knew that I wanted to be commercially viable in some way, so that I could yeah. make my money. Yeah, signature products were there, the trunks and everything, but the ones that sold were the wristbands and the belts, which I had more grasp in in terms of I knew what I was selling, and uh, and it just went from there. It was just like I just did a like tiny little napadori sign and just put the things in, and I sat. I was actually the salesperson for the first two years. Madam, can you tell us? I mean, I love the idea of leather as an artisanal craft. Can you can you tell us a little about its like Indian heritage? Sure. Like I've also learned this, so I'm not a really um, as much as I'm in leather. I'm not an expert in the history of leather in India. But we'll the, take your word for it. <laughs> no, but what I've gathered from the years of experience is what I'm going to say uh, is the fact that we are one of the biggest, uh, you know, raw material exporters in the world. So, which right. I also have a clue. Right. And uh, everyone talks about Italian leather and Brazilian leather and all that is yes, fine quality leather, but India is one of the largest exporters of leather goods and finished and raw material. Yeah. And uh, which was uh, kind of a surprise to me as well. And I was like, but why aren't we known for it? You know, that's, that's stuck in my head. Like, why aren't we known for the fact that we do good leather products? And uh, Louis Vuitton ended up doing a, having a factory for a few years in India, yeah, which is their right. first, ever, yeah. first ever factory outside the country. And, you yeah. know, and uh, so there is quality and there is uh, substance out here. And, uh, but I guess as Indians, we don't know how to market things properly and we are too shy to express. You know, right. we are good as manufacturers, but we are yeah. not good at, selling you know we need the quick buck but yeah. we don't want to do the whole drill of a long road and find and establish a name brands are not made in a year or two yeah well so that kind of stuck around and in terms of leather other than that is just a super versatile material you can do so much with it you know like it's the first oldest, it's the first material we used yeah it's the oldest material that human beings ever used mankind yeah ever used. And, yeah uh, and uh, it's it's something that is so versatile that you can use it in in all sorts of ways, and you can yeah. mold it, and make shapes out of it, and you can it's manageable and it's tactile, and uh, and I just loved it, and I loved the fact that I could do so many different products. If leather was a material where I could just do one type of product or yeah. just do garment, I don't yeah. think I might 
might have chosen it. Yeah. But in leather, you can do so much. You can make furniture. You yeah. can make clothing. You can make all sorts of things. Accessories, yeah. And I always argue that you know, leather is actually one of the most sustainable products. It's so long-lasting. You know, a good quality item can last you for generations. Um, you've said to me you've got some ethical sort of certification. Do you want to elaborate on that? So you know, when I started this, I obviously didn't know much about certain things. and uh, over the years we have obviously been mindful on how we want to go forward as a brand and uh, and we do have a uh, certified tanneries that you know do uh, leather products and raw material in within india and we have yeah. one another factory in calcutta which does eco leather which is i think we are the one of the only few companies that are using it what uh, is eco leather eco leather mainly means uh, it's obviously coming from the right sources is certified along with it there's no chrome that's been used in it which is very harmful in terms okay. of producing and okay. chrome is a chemical product which is used in uh, in processing raw leather okay. and uh, equal it's environmentally friendly it's it, it's biodegradable it's okay. it's the closest form to your product that you will come to and uh, a lot of uh european companies use eco leather but not i don't know how many indian companies are using it i can't talk about others but we because it's expensive as well uh and it's wedge dyed and vegetable dyes and all those things are a part of it and uh, so yeah so like we started using that in 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 our product line and introducing it hence the product cost went up things like that happen and uh, but then we were like you know what like let's just let's just keep it at that level and just go forward from it and see how it goes and obviously we have now expanded into a lot more other things so it's good it's a cafe dory you recently started cafe dory which is a wonderful experiential sort of idea you know come to our beautiful shop look at our you know beautiful old world things in it just sit down and stare for a bit but restaurants cafes are a completely different vertical so was this a, a bit of a risk yes a massive risk uh, okay. it wasn't easy uh, but cafe dory was in the mix for almost 2 years before it actually happened uh, i'm a massive coffee addict i can't do without like six cups of coffee in a day and i absolutely that's not on that's not even healthy i know but like, it is what it is i'm allowed to have one vice <laughs> uh, so cafe uh, dory was meant to be just a cafe like a tiny little coffee shop yeah but when when i saw this space which was where the our first cafe was made in dhanmel it was a warehouse and it was a massive space and we thought okay you know why let's make uh, our atelier and uh, our factory within this space and let's have a little coffee and the people can come and experience it but it just took over and it just morphed into something bigger than what it was and uh, we made a all day dining cafe where we have a extensive menu pan european menu and i'm a i just did things that i liked so coffee i'm i'm big on breakfast so eggs and just roll with it like you know make all sorts of egg egg benedicts and frontings turkish eggs whatever you want and i was like telling my team let's start it at 7 in the morning and reality obviously hit that jerry does not wake up mm-hmm. and uh, and then we had to change our timings but we've learned over the over the over the years and i think it's done pretty well for itself and uh, as i said it's morphed into something bigger but it was more to do with 
letting the customer come in and experience the space and the product, but not selling the product, which is really important. So I, I always tell my team, don't sell the product, sell the experience. Yeah. Because if you can do that, and if you can resonate in someone's head, after they've left the store, is a win for us. So if you come in, you just you're surrounded by design, you're surrounded yeah. by things like decor, and 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 the, it should make you smile and make you feel that you belong there. And and if that's that's a win for us. So if I can do that, and that's yeah. why we take uh, how we do our stores really importantly, like how the customer experience is supposed to be. Because you can shop online if you have to, you know, like yeah. in the world shopping online, we all know it right now. So how do you retain your customer base and how do you make things more tactile is very important. And I don't think retail brick and mortar is going anywhere. So just uh, that's my take on how things are right now. And I keep hearing things that, okay, everyone's going online. And yes, they are, but you can't live your life online. You have yeah. to go out. You have to experience yeah. things. We are human beings. We need we need physical touch. We need yeah. tactile you know, environment. And uh, and it's important. And uh, and we'll come back. And uh, and we're kind of great gearing up our, ourselves, at least, when it comes back. Yeah. I love how you, how you run a business emotionally, you know, logically, emotionally, uh, personally, instead of just following the hurt, you just listen to your heart and your, your taste, I think. Yeah, I think it's kind of worked uh, in my favor. I've always been kind of, you know, my team always says, Gotham, we're not doing this. And this is what's trending right now. And I'm like, yeah, but it's trending. That means it'll go away. <laughs> so you need to understand trends don't stay. Yeah, but if you do a classic product, it will stay. So let's engrave that in the customer's head that we are here to stay. And if they know that we are here to stay, they will keep coming back. That's and, fantastic. And, and 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 that kind of resonates in the products that we come and the, the designs that we come out with. So show them nostalgic value. So you were talking about customer experience. Has the Indian customer changed or evolved in any direction in the last decade? Oh, for sure. Tell uh, me how. Well, true example is Napadori. I would not be able to exist in India if the customer base was not evolved enough. And that is a true testament on how mature the Indian customer is. And we don't give them enough credit for what they are. You know, like we always say, oh, international brands and we'll go outside London and we'll get things from there and Indian people just want to shop abroad and da, da, da. But they've never had the opportunity to experience things back home. And if you can't give, if you can't evolve and teach people around you, you need to show people what they want. People are very fickle. And if you can crack that model, then you're in a good space. And... Uh, I think uh, the younger generation is a lot more prouder to be Indian, which was not the case about 10, 15 years back. And that's the sad fact. And now it's changing. The younger generation is proud to be Indian. The younger generation wants to carry an Indian brand. And they're proud to showcase that, which is a, which is a amazing transformation of from how we were and how we are and how we are proud to be who we are. And I think, I think that's helped brands like us evolve and be proud to be Indian as well. Hence, you will see the change in names also. Like earlier, they were always 
you know, references to abroad and da da da. And now you get Indian names for brands, you know, like that's a massive change. It, yeah. It's a mindset. Yeah. Are you entirely self-funded? Yes. If you were looking for investors, what would you expect them to do for you? Leave me alone. <laughs> Just give me money. <laughs> Uh, what, what role would you want them to pay, uh, to play? I think uh, so. I've seen a lot of brands take money and uh, grow really fast and uh, evolve into big brands. And some of them are success stories. Some of them aren't. And uh, I, this is my life, so it's very close to my heart. I came from nothing. I've started this. I still don't have any money in my bank, but I know that I have something that I can call my own, and uh, and it's evolving. It's going to a direction, but it's brewing at the same time. So I need someone who might come in, give it time to brew, because I think a lot of people are. It's an insta world, and insta world kind of works in all sorts of facets, and and I think if I find the right partner who understands how brands are made. And and if you're trying to create a legacy, or are you trying to create a quick buck, which is very different things. Yeah. And uh, I think we have reached a saturation point where we would need funding because there's a certain pivot that you need. Yeah. And I'm I'm you know mindful of that. It's not that I'm 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 completely emotionally attached to certain things, but at the same time, I do understand the fact that the brand needs to grow organically as well. And if we find someone who understands all these things, yes, it's, it'll be a good partnership. Someone who can add things to the brand rather than money. Yeah, fair enough. How has COVID changed the game for you? I mean, I know it's been hard to maintain some stores, but uh-huh. what is different now with Napadori uh, from 2019? Uh, well, it's been hard. It's been really hard for a self-funded brand like mine. You know, we work from month to month and we pay the bills and we go forward and we take small steps. We, we take them and we, but we take, you know, they might be small steps, but we take solid steps. Yeah. And it's been really hard. And uh, yeah. we've shut three stores over the last year and a half. And uh, my first store, Hoska store actually shut, uh, which was very emotional. But it's made us understand certain things about where we were going wrong as well. And I would, uh, I'm not talking about online or us being online because I think we, we were in that game a lot before COVID hit, which yeah, was really, right. which was good from our end. So we knew how online worked and it was not something that we were learning at this point of time and scat, you know, we were scattered and trying to get online. So we were pretty systematic in terms of how we handled it. But obviously money is a massive part of a brand and growth. And it's, it's really hurt us in a big way. But we are there. We, we are still exploring new stores and we are still exploring things. I've told my team, we just need to keep moving forward. COVID, it will pass. Everything yeah. passes. So, but how, you know, how, did, how did e-commerce work for you in the last year, year and a half? E-commerce, obviously business has picked up a lot more than what it used yeah. to be. It's gone fourfold. Then, and we have obviously uh, created our own in-house team to do things, and we are we are pushing that forward, obviously, like any other brand, because we need to make sales. 
But I honestly feel brick and mortar, as I said before as well, is something that is going to stay forever. It's not going to go anywhere. So we need to focus on both. So we can't completely neglect the stores that are shut right now. Yeah. And we need to reactivate them. So we, as much as we are focused on e-commerce right now, I've been telling my team, let's focus back on the stores and how we can make it more accessible for people when we open. And that's what we're focusing on. Where do you see Napadori 10 years from now? What's your next decade going to look like? Unlimited uh, resources. I'm giving you unlimited resources. Oh, then, the, <laughs> then I don't know. <laughs> unlimited resources would make the story very different. Uh, but we, we've stepped outside India, which is good. Uh, we have opened yeah. a store in India. Yeah. Uh, it's been a very humbling and uh, exciting kind of experience for us where you go from a pool which has about 10 good brands in a little pond to a, still a little pond, but 1,500 good brands and world-class brands. You're at Covent Garden in London? Yes, we are. So suddenly you're in, a, in, in this mix of all the best brands in the world yeah. and you're trying yeah. to stand your own ground, which is, is an amazing learning experience. And But we haven't been scared of that because we know that uh, we do a quality product. And uh, the product that we sell has a uh, has a very universal palette to it, and in terms of it, kind of resonates with everyone from every every country. And if you like design, you will like the product. It's as simple as that. You don't need to be from a certain place. And uh, that's worked really well for us. And uh, and we do have a tiny little cafe there as well, where we sell masala chai. Are you and, serious? Uh, yeah, yeah, we give it in coolers and we sell it for £3.50, which I'm very proud of. <laughs> <laughs> give it back. <laughs> yeah, give it back to the English. I shouldn't be saying this online, but, uh, but uh, we're selling our tea there and uh, it's, it's doing really well. And, uh, and uh, it's actually not a pre-mix. It's, we actually uh, ground it and make it yeah. with masala chai. And uh, our management out there is really, really sweet and they're handling it. And... All the all the, all the girls have learned from. We have one Polish girl. We have one, one some another person who's from Denmark, and they all know how to make masala chai now. That's fantastic! Good. Yeah, and they all like going the best masala best masala chai in, in town. <laughs> <laughs> not Indian, so it's like kind of funny, but it's amazing. So that's a complete melting pot, as you can see. Yeah. So, so ten yeah. years later, you'll be serving uh, masala chai and leather so. trunks. Where else? I think I'm going to be, we are actually really focusing on uh, opening more places outside India. Um, yeah. it's, it's been a good experience. It's, it's honestly the reason, and I'm being very truthful right now, it's just easier to do business there. And it's so difficult to open a store in India and get hassled by 10 other elements which are not related to your business. And out there is very systematical and which is what I love, you know, it just makes my life a lot simpler. And I'm like, if I'm paying the same rentals in India are not cheap. And if I'm paying 30% more, I'd rather pay 30% more and get something where I don't need the headache of certain yeah. other elements, which you, which you know what I'm talking about. And, and, uh, and that's the reason that's one of the reasons. But other than that, I think the brand is got a really European Scandinavian kind of vibe. So we are kind of focusing on Scandinavia, uh, maybe Copenhagen or Helsinki, and uh, to 
see and we're exploring opportunities there and seeing if we can take the brand over there. Uh, States obviously hasn't been on the radar it's too far for me at this point of time and I don't have the funds. It and, also uh, requires scale, right? America's a giant. It is a completely different, like a yeah, juggernaut of sorts. Like if you go there, you need to be completely geared up for what you're getting into. And uh, and if you are a hit, then you don't want to op- lose that opportunity as well. Yeah, you can't go unprepared to the U.S. And uh, though we do sell at Anthropology and we do sell at other places, but still, if we do end up opening a store, I know exactly where I want my store in New York, though, in which street, what corner. So I've I've, I've figured that out. I'm going to manifest it and see if it ever happens. But it will uh, happen. At this point of time, it's 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 focus India and focus in. In Europe, so in ten years, I think uh, have a lot more locations and evolve as a brand. And uh, I think it, t- it needs to evolve. Napadori is still non-mature, and uh, we always have benchmarks of all these European brands, but no one understands that they've been there for about a hundred years. And uh, so we we're a speck in the entire thing. So we will we'll get there though. Gautam, I I love your company. I love what you're doing with it. And I can only see it go onward and upward. So congratulations. And thank you so much for taking the time and sharing with me. It's been a pleasure. It's always fun to talk to you. If you enjoyed the show or not, write to me on Instagram, Twitter or Clubhouse at Namrita Sitar. You can catch the video podcast on the Lifeline channel on YouTube. For updates on Tell Me How You Did It, follow us at HT Smartcast. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse. To listen to more podcasts, log on to htsmartcast.com or suno nai nazariye se. This was a Mint production brought to you by HT Smartcast. HT Smartcast.